uh, I want to open the word with you today, amen? All right, I want you to turn to 1 Peter. Uh, if you're kind of new to this, that's over toward the back of the Bible. Just go to the back and, car, and start coming, coming forward. Well, don't have your Bible upside down like mine just was. You've got to turn it the right way. And then you're going to find uh, 1 Peter. It's not a very big book. Uh, but if you're going the other way, you go past Hebrews, James, there it is, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to talk a little bit about the context of worship today. We've talked about meaning of worship. We've talked a little bit about what it contains. But I want to talk about a context for it, all right? Because we're focusing on worship and the heart of worship and what it's about. And um, as we've said, it, we become very clear that worship is an essential part of the life of a follower of Christ, of a disciple. And I hope that we can understand this isn't just something we do. This isn't just something that we do at church. And it's not just something that we do alone. Because, you know, we've got two aspects. We're going to talk about that. Um, right here in this passage, he talks about some things that, in, that are involved in the context of worship. Now, I want to read this, and we're just going to come back and go through it. And I hope the Lord challenges you. I hope the Lord teaches you. I hope the Lord just builds us up so that we can worship him better. Amen? So we can experience, because I want to tell you, I need his strength, I need his presence, I need his power. I need to be reminded that, I need to be encouraged, I need to be built up in him, because without that, I just kind of get in a rut, I just kind of get shallow, I just kind of drift, okay? Okay, it's going to be harder than I thought, okay? We got we to gotta really get with it today, are you ready? Read with me. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore... Laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, Listen to this. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture. He's quoting Old Testament here. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, then he quotes another passage. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That mercy was always there, but you didn't benefit by it until you received it. Amen? All right, let's take a look at this because there are two aspects of worship, all right? And we've talked about this in weeks past, that there's private and public. Both are commanded by God. Some people will say, well, you know, you know I can just worship God just fine out here, you know, in the woods or out here on the lake or on the golf course. I'm talking about men, I guess, right there, too. But uh, mainly, I guess, I'm just relating, right? And you know, it's true. You can really feel the presence and the power and feel the beauty of God and things like that. But you know what? We need to be worshiping alone. 
We need to be worshiping in private. We need to be worshiping God every day. It's, you know, it should be like the first thing that we do when we get up, right? Uh, but then some people, you know, they, they you, I, I'm not the judge. I don't know this, but there may be some people that you really don't think a lot about God or talk to God or really worship God too much except when we all come together here. All right? Well, I want to tell you, both of these are important, and both of them are commanded by God. It's not just a private experience between you and God, but neither is it just a once-a-week thing that you just attend, and then, you know, you just leave and you pick up where you left off, you know, and that, that, that nothing's changed. You just kind of do it, and then you're gone. It's, it, you know, so it, it, is, it is supposed to be both things. It's supposed to be both personal, and it's supposed to be also public as we come together. You're going to see that in the Word of God. Uh, so we need to worship God daily. We need to worship God personally, but then we bring it all together when we come together as a body of believers. So remember, the Bible teaches us that, that the church is like all of these illustrations that the Bible uses to describe God's people. Those who have trusted Christ refers to us as the family of God, right? His church, that means the called out ones, refers to us as the body of Christ, right? Refers to us as a flock, the Lord's sheep, right? But since we're part of a body, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, the body, we're all different parts of a body. Now, my arm doesn't do too good if I leave it at home, right? It needs to be connected to the body. Different parts of the body have different functions. That's why there's, you are unique and you're special, but the work of the church here in this local church isn't going to happen until the body comes together and each part is fulfilling its function. Okay? That's the way God's designed it. So if you isolate yourself from the rest of the body, you're not going to do so well. Uh, so as we search the pages of Scripture, well, what we find out is, is that we were created to know God and to worship God. That's really our created purpose. And I know there are a lot of people out there running around. They don't know God, and they don't want to know God, and they don't believe God and all of this. But the thing about it is God put this in us, and it seems like, as we said last week, if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. And you see that everywhere. From the most remote tribe to the most sophisticated urban area, you find us doing that kind of thing. All right. So since God made us to worship Him, we find out that we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. We've learned that. But we're to worship God as a part of our daily existence. This is what God wants. But we also find that the larger context for worship being when we gather together as a family of believers, as we gather together. Everybody in the New Testament that received God's grace, of sal- God's grace, that gift of salvation through Christ, everybody that received that by faith and became a Christ follower, became saved, as we say, all right? Every one of them, you become part of his church, right? His, the universal church. That is, we become part of those who are saved. It doesn't matter what building you meet in. It doesn't matter what time or where. That all of those from all time, even the Old Testament saints that trusted in what God had revealed to them and were faithful to as much as they had back then, to the last person who will ever be saved, all of those who are saved are part of his family, his church, the body of Christ, through all time. We're connected to people that's already been gone from planet Earth hundreds of years ago. They're part of the church. But everybody that you find in the New Testament that's saved and trusts Christ, they connect themselves to a local gathering of believers, and we refer to that as the local church, a local body of believers. 
that they gathered together. This was part of what they did. Even the Old Testament system, they had regular times of everybody gathering together. Even in the times leading up to the time of Christ, they were in the habit, if you didn't live close to the temple in Jerusalem, they gathered in these little meeting places, and they read from the scriptures, and they ministered, and they called those synagogues, okay? So that's part of the tradition that comes all the way down to the New Testament times. So this has always been God's thing that he's wanted us to do. And since he's the designer and he's the creator, he knows how things are supposed to work. And they work best when we do it the way God says. Amen. All of life does, doesn't it? Somebody recently said, as their life has changed, said, you know, life just goes a whole lot better when you just live the way Jesus taught, right? When you just do the things that, I mean, everything just, yeah. We're talking about this in Sunday school class. Jesus did say in this world, the sin-cursed world, we have sin-cursed flesh. We're going to have tribulations, aren't we? We're going to have struggles, right? But I have to say that most of my tribulation and most of my struggles hasn't come from the world. It's come from dumb, stupid things that I've thought and did. Right? Consequences. Amen. That if I just live and do what Jesus says and do what the Bible teaches, I would have a lot better life. Amen. It's true. Same thing goes with just our, our daily, how we're going to do and how we're going to deal with stuff when we're worshiping God privately and then when we come together. We need this. God knew that we would need this, and that's why he structured it the way he did. You see that unfold in the pages of the New Testament. And also, in our church, in our association of churches that we are connected to voluntarily, we've got this kind of like this little booklet that kind of compiles the, the main teachings that that, that we, we want, you know, to, to continue to help people to grow and learn in. And we call this our treaties. And it really nails this because it deals with all these issues, one being the local church, kind of pulls out of the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we believe. It says this, the local church is the only visible representation of Christ in the world. Do you know that? Jesus ascended back to the Father's right hand. Now, I mean, there's evidence of God everywhere. But the only visible representation, really, of Christ in this world and the gospel is us. Not, not just us, you know what I'm saying, is his church. We represent him, okay? We're to be a visible representation of Christ. So anyone who's worshiping Christ per- personally, and if you're worshiping privately, you're going to want to come together, as we say, publicly or corporately. That means we're all coming together uh, in, in one. So some people say that, you know, they can worship God anywhere, and you can. But you, you know, I can, I'm just fine. I can just be as good a Christian as I need to be right out here. Coming to this building or any other building doesn't make you saved. So when you say, I can worship God just fine... You can worship God anywhere. But when you say, I can be as just as good a Christian by myself as I can gathering with others, that's not true. Because you don't have all the spiritual gifts, and you're only one part of a body, and you're disconnected from everyone else. So you can't receive everything God wants to give you, and you can't be everything God wants you to be by yourself. You need each other. Now, you know, this is where it gets interesting. Because we're all just sinners saved by grace. And we all are still growing and trying to become Christ-like, huh? So, but the, the, so the, the, the situation exists is that we're going to fail each other. We're going to offend each other. We're going to flat out tick each other off from time to time, right? 
I mean, there's a lot of times I offend people and stuff like that, or I miss something. It's because I'm absent-minded. And it's because sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. And sometimes I just, I just unintentionally, you know what I'm saying? I didn't mean to. We have misunderstandings, miscommunication. Ever happen to anybody? Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Philip. Appreciate that. Man, raise his hand. Got some interaction. This goes a lot better if you interact with me, by the way. It does. There are sometimes that I'm having a bad day and I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> okay? I figure at least one person would say amen there, but thank you, hon. Thank you, hon. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? I need God's grace, and I need some grace from you. Okay, but you're going to need it from me too, and I need to remember that. So the thing about it is, I was talking earlier about, you know, being in a big city where people kind of meet and they worship and they just do church and ministry together. It's different than that when you live in a community like this because we got to live together, right? We shop together. Kids go to school together. We can't get away from each other. There's so many more points of contact where we can have conflict. So we've really got, if you're around here very long, somebody's going to upset you. They're going to upset you here. They're going to upset you out there. It may be, it's going, something's going to happen. Because we're all fallible, we're all humans, and we all, you know, are going to mess up. So that's why we've got to hope and pray that people will just be good Christians and forgive us. And amen, because I'm going to need that. But then I also need to remember, as I follow Christ, I need to offer you the same. Forgiveness, and that means letting go. And sometimes forgive and forgetting things and moving on. Amen? So this is all going to be part of it that we need, we're going to have to have if we're going to be the church God wants us to be. Uh, so here's the thing. This local church, everybody that's saved in the New Testament, they connect to a local body of believers. The local church. Church is not the building. The church, it's the people not the building. A lot of times we call these like that church, you go to that church, whatever. We're talking about a building. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the word that's translated church in English never, ever refers to a building. It always refers to people. The building is just a gathering place where we gather. This is a tool that we use to get together, to be equipped, to fellowship, to serve, to do a lot of things. But the church is you. This local church is you. Okay, All right, good. All right, so if you ever go back through the pages of the Old Testament, you're going to find that God's constantly calling people together and they're worshiping Him. But, you know, we live in a complicated world. And it's kind of like the world we live in. It's kind of hard for us to come together and even spend some quiet, reflective moments like we did this morning as we celebrated communion together. It's just kind of tough because we just want to come in here and I want you to serve it up the way I like it, right? This is the way we are in America. I want things served up the way I like it so I can have it my way. Burger King, and uh, we'll just do it my way, right? And, um, you know, so we just do what, and, and then we just go through the drive-thru. I guess if I'm going to have to spread it around, if I'm going to have it your way. Is, isn't that, was that, was that Burger King? I thought so. See, they get in your head. They do. And, and think outside the bun. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> We want to get in the drive-thru, and we want to go through, and we want to order it up our way and get what we want, right? And go right through and get out of there. If, you know, and if you, wait, if, if you wait more than 10 minutes in the drive-thru at McDonald's, then where's my coupon? Well, I should get, I should get this free, right? Huh? Because I waited. And that's the way we want church served up. So we don't really want church. We want McChurch. 
See, I told you I was going to use that. I did. I did. I told you. We want McChurch. We want it just done our way. You know, we want to just kind of go through, click, 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 and we're done. We're out of here, and let's go on. Don't hold me up, right? But sometimes if God's going to do what God's going to do in our life, it's going to take some time. we got to stop, right? Hey, and I want to tell you, a lot of times the worship that, and, the, and the messages and the things that help me the most and draw me closest to the Lord are the things that I don't like. Yeah, sometimes it's the things that I don't prefer that if I'll just pay attention speaks the deepest. And it's the messages that kind of like, I don't know, I like that. It's the ones that I need the most. So this is how God works as we come together. And he set aside, you know, all through the scripture, ever since creation, one day that we're to kind of dial it down, you know, and, and we're to kind of focus on him. And we really don't do that too well, right? And, and uh, this whole Sabbath principle, which we set aside the first day of the week, but we still keep that commandment of honoring the Sabbath, and we just don't do it by setting aside a day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. We actually keep the Sabbath seven days a week in the New Testament, Hebrews tells us, as we are resting in the finished work of Christ to save us instead of our own works, okay? That's what we do. So we keep it every day. But this one day to come together and to recognize he's provided for us the past six days. And we're declaring that we're dependent upon him even as we're given. You know, we prayed about that. So I've got to worship God privately. Because if I'm not worshiping God privately, when I come together with you guys, it's going to be kind of hard for me to worship if I haven't brought it with me, right? But also, if I don't come together with other believers in the body of Christ and worship publicly with you, my private worship is going to get pretty skinny. It's going to get pretty shallow and anemic. It really is. Because my life as a follower of Christ is going to suffer. If, because a lot of what God's going to do, He's going to, whether I like it or not, He's going to do it through you. Amen? Because we're part of a body. So He's constructed it that way. Listen to me. Listen. God has so constructed it that there are some things He will do in your life as you worship Him privately. There are other things that he's only going to do in your life as you worship publicly with other believers in a local church. Amen. You're only going to mature and develop as we understand it. So, back into this text, God gives some principles which serve as guides for the context of worship. And so, as we look at some things that are involved, in the context of worship, the very first thing that we find as we look back at this text, have you got it there? Is that we find that it involves God's word. Amen? Everything that we do has to be based on God's truth. This is the first context for all worship. All things have to be done according to his word. Our worship must be based on sincerity, submission, and the desire for God's truth. This is not up to us, you know, whatever we're going to believe, whatever we're gonna, God has given it right here. He's etched it down for us. Right? He has. He's given it to us. So everything that we do, everything we believe is based on this book. All right? And uh, so God's word is alive and powerful. And he speaks of worship right here in this passage. Did you notice in verse 5, he talked about that all of us that have come to Christ are like a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices that we're offering up. Did you know? Did you know that that's what God wants? 
And by the way, we're going to talk about some specific sacrifices that you and I can offer up uh, tonight. All right? So we'll come back to that part. So that's save time this morning, right? We'll move right on. Because we, before we can come to him, we've got to embrace his word. Did you know that? And you back up into this first chapter. He's already been talking about this. He compares the word of God to like a seed. Like a seed that's planted. Because you, you have, hey, you have physical life, right? Because you were conceived in the womb. And you were born physically, right? But that's corruptible seed because of the curse of sin. Physically, we begin to deteriorate and we die. But guess what? If you've received Christ, you've been born again by an incorruptible seed. Let's read it. Let's read it. Because he says that in chapter 1, look up the page a little bit. Verse 23, he says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. He compares the Word of God to a seed that's planted in our life that gives us life. So it's all got to be based on the Word of God. It germinates, produces the new birth into new life. It's the incorruptible seed that, through which we are born again, right? You understand that? That's what he says in verse 23 of chapter 1. In fact, in verse 19, he reminds us that we are redeemed. That means like we were held ransom by sin And God himself paid the price to buy us back. Redeemed. Understand that? Does that mean anything to anybody? That's awesome. I was a slave. I was sold in sin. And God himself came and bought me out of slavery. I just get a little more excited than some people, I guess. Because I realize how how real that is. I know you do too. But why be excited about being redeemed? We are redeemed, look at what it says, through the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot, without without blemish. That's what all that Old Testament stuff was pointing to. So we have been born again. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, verse 19. And how we receive that, verse 21 tells us, who through him you believe in God. Believe, that's the word for faith. So we receive it by faith. We believe through him in God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, verse 22, he says, Since you've been purified, your souls, you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love. So now I'm able to obey the truth because I've got God's help living on the inside of me through the Spirit. You see, it's all right there in this passage. So with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, having been, verse 23 again, born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Then he says, he's quoting some Old Testament here. When he says, all flesh is like grass and the glory of man. Even the best we got is like grass that produces a pretty flower. What happens? After a while, that grass fades. And after a while, that flower just fades and withers up, right? So the best we got in this physical world and in the flesh is only going to last a little while, and it's going to fade away, okay? That's the principle there. The verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord. All this stuff's going to be gone, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You can run from the word of God all your life. You can say you don't believe. You can duck from it, but it endures forever. We're going to have to face it. Amen. Whether you believe it or not. That's what this book says. And then he says, read the rest of it. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The essential part of this word is the gospel. It says, that's the good news about Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. It's like that seed that produced life in you. It is your life. 
Okay? So everything we do is based on the Word of God. Now, because he said that, because you've been born again, because of the Word of God, it's the Word of God is the central part of this. Now, and, and the Spirit of God living in you, see, it's not just print on the page. That we just read, and yeah, yeah. This is alive, he says. It's living. It's precious. It's powerful. And the author of this, God himself, through his spirit, actually lives inside you. You know, you can read the writings of Confucius, and you can say, boy, he had some wise thoughts, but Confucius is gone, and he's not here to help you do any of that stuff. But unlike this, this isn't just print on a page. The author of this is actually alive and here, and he wants to live inside you to help me, to help you. Amen? So he says, laying aside, verse 1 of chapter 2, all, look what he said. Now, we know some of the big sins that we need to lay aside, but look what he says. Lay aside all malice. That's ill will that we might have towards someone else. And the way sometimes people treat us, it's easy to have it. In fact, it's natural. How could I do that without... The Word of God and the Spirit of God giving me the strength. I want to tell you, I can't. But it's only because of His grace that we can do what He says, lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking. And like newborn babes, desire the milk of the Word, He says. So I've got to lay aside these things. Because these are these true worship of God can't come from a context of those things. Too often we come to church, and there might be a lot of things we're not doing, but we're filled with deceit, malice, hypocrisy, and stuff like that. I want to tell you, if we're not willing, willing, at least are we willing to lay these things aside, it's going to be impossible to worship God. Because that's not a context of worship. I mean, that don't sound like the church of the living God. Malice and hypocrisy and deceit and all that stuff. That sounds like Hartville, okay? That doesn't sound like heaven. But but what we got to do is we got to be willing to lay that stuff aside. Now, when he says lay it aside, it means to kind of throw it away, cast it aside. I don't mean lay it aside like you hung your coat up and then you come in here and then you go pick it back up and put it on when you go out the door. That's not what it means. And I need God's help to do this, to cast this aside. So there must be a desire then. So I'm desiring God. I'm desiring His Word. You know, that's the thing that I don't see like I want to see in my own life and in other people's lives is a desire for the Word of God. I've been born again. I've embraced Him. And there ought to be a desire. He says, like a baby desires milk. Like a newborn desires to nurse. You don't, if you've got to wake up your baby and try to get it to get hungry, something is not right. It works the other way. They wake you up. They're hungry. The whole world needs to come deal with this. And the longer you wait, the louder they get. They've got that built-in desire to want to nurse. If they don't, something's wrong. As a newborn believer, we ought to have a desire for the Word of God. If you don't, something is wrong. Something is wrong. That's what he says, desiring it like a newborn babe, that we might grow. The whole point of this is that we might grow. So God's word is the very first important part of this. And I'm going to move on through the rest of it as we look at it because the next part is God's presence. Because he says in verse 4, coming to him as a living stone. Did you see that? God's presence is coming to him. We're not just coming to church. We're coming to him. You're not just coming to this building. You're not just coming to hear me talk. You're coming to Him. In your daily life, as we take time to worship, we're coming to God. We're coming to Him. If you take God out of any part of anything we do, it ceases to be anything special. 
all right? Because it's all about him. So whenever I come here, I'm not just coming here to see you. I'm not just coming here to meet with you. I'm coming here to meet with him. Somebody said, where are you going? I said, I got to go meet somebody. Well, let me tell you who it is. It's all about him. It's his presence. So I have to ask myself after church, was God honored? Was God glor- Now, what did I get out of it? Yeah, that's important. Yeah. But I have to ask, what did God get out of it? Was God honored? Was God glorified? Was God exalted by me today as I gathered with my brothers and sisters? And he also says that we're not just coming to him, but who he is. He's like the chief cornerstone. He's our living stone, living cornerstone. Did you see that? It says, verse 5, you also as living stones are being built upon a spiritual house. Uh, He is our, back up verse 4, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God, precious. You also as living stones are being built. We're being built on him. We're his spiritual house. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it says that he has been rejected by men, but he is precious. Think about his value. And he's the cornerstone, it says in verse 6. He quotes that scripture from Isaiah where it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect or chosen, precious. And he says this is kind of the illustration that Jesus is that cornerstone. That's who you're coming to. And what's that mean? You know what the cornerstone is? There's an allusion here in this verse that he quotes from the Old Testament talks about that this cornerstone, if you believe, you'll by no means be put to shame, but the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The story, this is legend, it's not in the Bible, but you remember when they built the temple in the Old Testament days? Have you ever read about that? That this is, God was trying to teach them this is supposed to be a holy type place. And so there was not the sound of a hammer or chisel that was heard on the building site. They did all the measurements, and they went up to the quarry, and they chiseled out the stones off-site, and they were good enough and smart enough that when they got it there, they just put them in place. So they were chiseling them out. Well, it's said by legend, that goes way back, that they had chiseled out, and they had to have it exact because everything's measured off the corner, that cornerstone. If it's off, everything else is going to be off, and you're going to have a mess. That they had it exact, and they sent it down. But they already had some other stones to go with it already chiseled out, and they sent them all down. And when they got there, that somehow the cornerstone got lost, and as they got ready to, as they got the site cleared, as they were ready to start building the temple, they were actually tripping over this stone. They couldn't find the cornerstone. And then they finally figured out, some of the guys came down and showed them that the thing they'd been tripping over the whole time and kicked off to the side was indeed the cornerstone. And if you don't set that in the right spot, you can't build off of it and make anything else work. That's the story, the legend that maybe this verse came from, that he is the chief cornerstone. And if he's not the cornerstone, what does that mean? What does that mean? That we need to realize his value, that he is precious. He is so valuable. That's what that means. And that if my life doesn't square up with him, everything else is going to be out of kelter. Did you hear that? If my life doesn't square up with the cornerstone, Jesus, it doesn't matter what else I do, it's just going to be out of kelter. I want to be in kelter instead of out of kelter. I want to be plum. I want it to be plum straight, right? I want it to be square with him. So we're living stones, he says in verse 5, that have come to Christ. We're built upon him. I need to recognize that. 
Because if he's not my cornerstone, then he'll be my stumbling stone. As I stumble all over life trying to find the right way, and I won't find it. Okay? So God's presence. And then also, he refers to an essential part of this context as God's building. Now, when I talk about God's building, I'm not talking about this physical building. Because he just said that we are what? In verse 5, living stones... Did you read? i got to read it again. We're being built into a spiritual house. There it is. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The building is us. We are living stones, he said, built on him, the cornerstone. That's who we are. God himself's the builder. He's the one building this house. It's his design. That we got to fit into, not our own. I want to fit according to his pattern. And so this is another important emphasis on the togetherness that we're to have. God has already compared us to a body, but here he compares us to a building. Jesus, the cornerstone, we're individual bricks in that building. Folks, one brick does not make a building. If we're God's building and you just want to be off by yourself just doing your selfish brick things... You're not part of the building. We've got to fit together, amen? Right? Hey, and we've all, hey, you know, I, I don't know how exact they chiseled these things out, but they, but they got them to fit. So there are protrusions and indentations in all of us. We've all got our pluses and minuses and things like that. But, you know, when we come together, God fits us together into something. Only God could do this, by the way. Into something that will glorify him. That's what we are. That's part of the context of worship and why we come together. All right, I got to light it up before we wrap it up. You know, last week we talked about that's why this is so important. That's why, this why, there's times I might come in here and I'm really down. I'm really discouraged, but the chances that 100% of y'all are going to be that way should be pretty off the charts, right? So when I get in here next to you, I'm going to, I'm going to, some of that, some of that's going to rub off on me. It's going to lift me up. I come here with a burden, I can share my burden. I come in here and I'm having a good week, then I can lift up somebody else. You see, that's how it's, part of how it works, you know. And as we're really worshiping the Lord, hey, did not Jesus say where two or three are gathered? See, there's something powerful happens there when we come together. I'm just telling you, you and I are not going to have the private worship that we ought to have if we're not having the public worship. And not just here to see a show or to hear a speech. We're here to actively worship God together, all right? So I ought to come out of here smelling a little bit like worship. That's the way my mind works because people could always tell. I grew up on a dairy farm, right? People always tell because a lot of times even though, even though you had to hurry, you wore a cap, right? Protect your hair. You change clothes. You have time to take a shower, but you just change. You change clothes. But they still could come up to me and say, man, you've been at the dairy barn, hadn't you? Can I get a witness on that from anybody? Is that not true? You just know. Likewise, whenever I'm in here and we're filling this with a fragrance of praise and worship to God, I ought to come out here smelling a little different spiritually. Huh? I ought to have a little different aura around me. That's what the desire, instead of coming out like totally drained and upset. So this ought to be a good thing. But we use every excuse that we can to not do it. Last time we talked about what if we compared going to church and the excuses we use not to do it, like somebody saying they're no longer going to go to a ball game. Remember that? That was good, wasn't it? I got another one. What if you had the same ideas about washing yourself with soap, since we're talking about smells, 
as what you have about, as some people have about worship. Right? Some people are like, I'm not going to do it. So reasons that I've decided, I'm not going to wash with soap. Are you ready? Number 10, I don't have time to wash with soap. I'm just going to stink. I don't have time. I just don't have time for it. Number nine, I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. Why I don't wash with soap as compared to why I don't get involved in the local church in worship. Number eight, you know what? The reason I don't wash with soap is the bathroom's never warm enough in the winter or cool enough in the summer. It's just never comfortable in there. I don't go. Number seven reason why I'm not going to wash with soap anymore is none of my friends wash with soap. So why should I? Number six, you know, I used to wash, but it was boring, so I stopped. Number five, you know what? You know what? There are just so many types of soap out there. I can't decide which is the right one, so I'm rejecting all of them. I'm never going to wash with soap again. Too many. Number four, the reason I'm not wash with soap is I found that people who wash with soap are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner, cleaner than everybody else just because they wash with soap. Number three, I only wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Number two, you know what? I don't wash with soap because I have an idea. Those people who make soap are only after your money. So I'm not going to wash anymore. And number one reason why I am never going to wash with soap again is that as a child, my parents forced me to wash with soap. So I reject it now. So when we put it in that context, you know, to see how we view coming together with church, it kind of begins to throw a little light on it. So we come together as living stones to fit together according to his design. Each one fill its purpose in the local body. So the building isn't finished, folks. The building isn't. We need, God wants to add more bricks. God wants to add more bricks. And you know what? You know what? He's still chiseling me to make me fit just right, okay? Sometimes it's a little rough, right? But God is still looking for those that we need to be ready to bring in more that are going to be part of his building that he's building so god's building and then the last thing is god's people god's people once you're saved you've got a new identity verse five says we become a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to god all through jesus christ you've got a new identity so our purpose is to offer up spiritual sacrifices to god that i couldn't do that before but now i can He says in verses 9 and 10, he says, you are a chosen generation. That word chosen means you're selected. Generation, it's the Greek word genos. It means a kind or kin or a family. We're a chosen family. We're God's chosen. He chose, when he, before we were even born, he chose to pay the price that would save us. And it became a reality in our life when we received it by faith. You're a royal priesthood. You don't have to have priests like they did in the Old Testament because when you trust Christ, you're like not just a priest but royal. Did you catch, did you catch that? You're like a king. Kings and priests. You're like kings and priests now because of God. Do you, do you realize that about you? See, if Satan can keep us ignorant about who we are in Christ, he can keep us down. You need to know who you are. And then you need to be who you is. A holy nation. The word for nation is the word ethnos. Hey, get this. In his family, there's no racial divisions. Ethnic. The word ethnos we get ethnic from. 
We're our own, he says, holy ethnos. All those who are saved. He even says that we're God's own special people. Now, if you're reading the old King James, it says peculiar people. Some of you really are. But the Greek word is a word that literally means a purchased possession. You're a purchased possession. You're God's purchased people. Now, where'd the word peculiar come from? I'm sorry, but that translation relied on the Latin Vulgate a lot, as well as Hebrew and Greek. And it comes from a Latin word. The Latin word original. Now, see, peculiar now just means weird, right? Some of us are a little weird. But it's not that kind of weird. The word peculiar comes from the Latin word peculiaris, which literally means privately owned. So if something was peculiar to someone, it's something, it's something that really belonged to them. And then the word changed through time. That's why we need to update our translations. Words change. So even the old Latin word means something that was privately owned. It came from the word peculium, which means one's own property. So basically what he's saying is, now you belong to him. You are purchased. And we celebrated that price. And so once we were not his people, it says, and we were lost, we deserved God's wrath. But now we've received his mercy and we're transformed into his precious possession. And the purpose of this is that, as he says, we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what God wants. The main purpose of the context of worship is the Lord himself. But the overflow of worship has tremendous effect on building my life and your life up and to be more what he wants it to be. And I can't ever become what he wants me to be without that. We have an effect on each other. That's why he said, okay, you're going to get a review of everything I've already said right here on these slides, but I've got a verse I want to show you. Sometimes that thing bounces all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to get to a verse. There it is. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another. Think about each other. Don't just think about yourself. Why? How we can stir each other up. Are we stirring each other up to good works? We stir each other up, but maybe not to good works. Think about ways. Get creative, folks. Get as creative about this as you're going to get about other junk that you do this week that means nothing. It's a shame some of the things we get so excited about. And then the most important thing is just so ho-hum to us. Think about ways you can get each other stirred up for good. Good works. And an essential part of this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And even back then, folks had a hard time doing it. Because he says it's a manner of some is. If that's your manner you're going to have a hard time being stirred up. Okay. But exhorting. That's encouraging one another so much the more as you see the day. The day. The best Bible language. A lot of times that's figurative language. It's talking about a day that's coming. The day is coming. A great day is coming. For some it's going to be a terrible day. There's a day that's going to be the day. Judgment day. It's coming. And we know we've got less time than we've ever had. We need to be stirring each other up more than we ever have. It's going to get tougher in this world we live in. we got plenty of trouble out there. Let's not have it in here, amen? Let's stir each other up. So here's what God wants to see. Each of his living stones 
fit together according to his design. Each one fill its purpose in the body. That's the context for worship. Pray with me. Father.